0: Good morning. <clears throat> well, last week we started a sermon series on parables of Jesus. I'd like to review just a little bit about what we said last week about the parables. What a parable is. <laughs> They're the natural expressions of a mind that sees truth in concrete pictures rather than conceives it in abstraction. At its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature or common life. Arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application as to tease it into active thought. We said parables are to the teachings of Jesus as handles are to a pot. They give us a way to pick it up, to hang on to it, to hold it, to wrestle with it, ultimately understand it. And in last week's scripture, about the lamp on the stand and not hiding it under the bed or in a pot. In that verse of scripture, he gives us very clear instructions. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Therefore, consider carefully I you listening? This week we're going to be talking about perspective. See if we took our verse for this week, these two short verses, talking about a new piece of cloth on an old garment, or new wine into old wineskins. If we took a worldly perspective of what that might mean we might think that maybe Jesus is concerned about our clothes. Maybe Jesus is concerned about us spilling our wine. God has so much more. Let's pray and ask Him to reveal that to us. Father, as we come into your throne room, as we approach that throne. Father, I pray that we approach with a heart that is open. That we are considering carefully. How we listen to what it is that you have. May we will receive from you this day what you have for us. Hearts that love you, praise you, give. Amen. Perspective. There's many different perspectives, isn't there? If you were a law enforcement person, which we have one, rang in the room with us, and he went to an accident, and there was three witnesses to that accident, Rob, you'd probably get three different stories, wouldn't you? Because everybody's seeing it from Little story to emphasize this idea of perspective. I saw my neighbor coming out of her house yesterday. She is a nice lady, and it is and it was obvious that she was on her way to work at the bank. She was in her looking good mode, you know, professional, nice dress, hair just right. As she exited the door, she turned to lock it behind her with the daily necessities in tow, purse, lunch cooler, and of course a gym bag for after work. And oh yeah, it was trash day and she was struggling with a bag of garbage. As she starts down her steps, she sees me and gives me a big smile and a hello. I returned the hello with a good morning and opened my car door to get in. It was then that I noticed at the bottom step, she had paused. For just a moment with a look of terror on her face. And then she starts to scream. Not just a humdrum, something... Like a trash bag ripped open, scream of frustration. No, this was a full-on fire engine scream. Ah! He now got my full attention. Huh? I turned to look as she, as the scream got louder. To see her throwing bags in all directions, waving her arms and kicking her legs like she was in some aerobics class. She's now clutching at her face and her hair and starts a new round of fire engine noise. Ah! She finally gets two words out of her mouth as she's running across the yard, shaking and screaming. web!" I need to go a little E.B. White on you, Charlotte's Web. We're going to look at the spiders first. Let me introduce you to this rather ordinary, medium-gray-sized lady spider. She's been up since before dawn working on her web, and all is well. A nice day, no wind, the temperature is just right for web making. She is on the outer edge of her web checking the anchor points, thinking about the fly that she may have for breakfast. Feeling good and ready for action, all of a sudden, the world is turned upside down and inside out. Her web with her still on it is torn from its moorings and it is now being dragged across the yard by this moving mountain. This thing that is in her web is making a noise like no other she has ever heard. Ah! This thing is way too big to wrap up and eat. And it's moving way too fast to hold down as she tries to think of what to do. Jump for it. Go hang on and just ride it. Effective. Different. Seen through eyes. Perspective is the key to any story. Who is telling it? What is their role in the story? In the story of the neighbor and the spider, we heard two perspectives. That of the man next door, watching the lady go through the web, and that of the spider. I'm sure if we could, we would get a much different perspective and the lady walked through it. Okay, so what perspective should we be looking at? How do we focus our eyes? Who do we have Kingdom eyes. It's much different than the world. If we live in an unshakable kingdom, if we live in the unshakable kingdom of God, so that even when we are tested, we never fail. This is why I'm confident that our world is perfectly safe. You may be. Are you kidding? This world is scary and dangerous. That is true if you are on the throne of your life. Living outside of the kingdom of God. Inside the kingdom of God, we are in no danger. No danger? You could get sick, you could get hit by a bus. Lose your job or lose a loved one in a heartbeat. Let me say clearly, none of these things can harm those who live in the kingdom of God. If we die, we step into glory. If we lose a job, we can learn how to trust God for something better. If we lose a loved one, we can be certain that we will soon enjoy their company for all eternity. As long as we live in fellowship with our good and beautiful God in his mighty kingdom, we have nothing to fear. Not even fear itself. But nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God that's found in Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. When we know this to be true, when we take on this perspective We can let go of worry and begin living confidence and joy. As we look at this short parable, we must look with perspective. This perspective. So we can fully grasp the true meaning of these parables. We need to ask ourselves three questions to gain insight and understanding of these two short stories. Question one, who is telling the story? Question two, who are the listeners? And question three, why is this story being told? The story, Mark 2, 21 and 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment for if he does, the patch tears away from it; the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine in old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is for fresh. He'd be asking what a wineskin is. he I not want to know. In those days, every part of the animal was used. When they slaughtered a goat, they would take its stomach and wash it out, tie it off on both ends, and put the new wine in that. And of course, it being fleshy, it would stretch as the wine fermented. It would not burn. But after that wine had been emptied out of that skin, if you put more new wine into that skin that had been stretched and became hard, as that wine fermented, it would stretch that old skin and burst. Okay, so question one, who is telling the story? We need to look back a few verses to answer that question. As Scott said, we're going to be looking around this verse 20 and 21. 21 Mark 2, 13 through 20. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. There were many who had followed him. And the scribes and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then they will fast in that day. Question one, who is telling the story? Jesus. Speaking to this large crowd. The second question is also answered here in this verse of scripture. Who was listening? Who was the story for? We saw that there was a large crowd that had followed him. And of course they were at Levi, the tax collector's house. Of course the disciples, John and the disciples of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees themselves. People. They're all listening to Jesus. Different perspectives that we need to talk about. In verse 18, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Do not fast. They're asking this of Jesus. We only know that these were people that were asking this question. We don't know from which group. We don't know from what venue or what thought or what motive created this question. We know that there were pers- what their perspective was as they saw it. John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees were fasting as they did faithfully twice a week as was the custom of that day. Their custom or practice or belief had to then become the standard by which all others should be measured. You don't fast twice a week. You are not a good religious person. Their perspective. Their perspective also was They thought Jesus had gone to eat with tax collectors and sinners to teach them to be better religious people. And they thought that the disciples had tagged along just to go and get their stomachs full. Their perspective was, we have to keep the law and practice the fast. Why don't the disciples of Jesus Jesus perspective. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. First, we see that there will come a time when fasting will be necessary. When the bridegroom is taken from them, bridegroom being Jesus. Fasting and prayer are essential in the Christian walk. We don't have the bridegroom with us today, so we should be in our season practicing the act of fasting. Simply an act of setting time aside for prayer. And doing that. And during that time, not eating. So whenever the prompt or feeling... Of hunger pops into our mind. Instead of opening the fridge or the cupboard, we go to the Lord in prayer. Ever wonder why, during times of crisis, we lose our appetite? We are more likely or prone to turn to God in prayer. Because that's the way we're wired. That's the way we're created. We might search for him in our time of distress and have a way to acknowledge the absence of our bridegroom. Secondly, we need to be aware that we are, we are in the very early stages of the new life of the disciples of Jesus. They have just been called to follow Jesus, and in being young in the faith, they were still learning what Jesus was teaching. So to put a mature teaching of fasting on a young Christian may become a burden rather than a joy to practice. Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Meaning they are still learning, and as long as I am with them, they will continue to learn. To put the burden of fasting on his disciples would be, or could be, a discouragement and lead to ill consequences, just like that of our parables. To put unshrunken cloth on an old garment would lead to a bigger hole in that garment. And to put new wine in an old wineskin would only lead them to bursting and spilling that Jesus has not stopped there. In talking to these people that are questioning him about his ways, about his perspective, he goes on to speak of new cloth and new wine. Jesus knew where the real problem was. He knew... What was behind the question raised by the scribes and the Pharisees, they were irritated because Jesus was not obeying their traditions. They were really asking the same question raised in Matthew 15. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Why are they breaking the mold? Why are they doing things different? But jesus tells him no one tears a piece from a new garment puts it on the old garment for if he does the tear will become worse no one puts new wine in old wineskins for if he does the wine will burst skins and it will be spilled the skins will be destroyed new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. last statement is the key New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Remember last week how we said in the parable has one meaning, one main point that God is trying to teach us? This is the main point. This is what God is trying to teach us. makes all things new. Christian faith would have to grow and burst the old wineskins of Judaism. And that is what happened. The church began to spread into the whole world, shedding the old Jewish forms. We learn two things. First, the parable reminds us that God is always a God of newness. The gospel is new, always. The Old Testament frequently speaks of new things. We read of a new song, a new heart, a new spirit, a new name, a new covenant, a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. David said, God put a new song in my mouth. Psalms. Behold, the former things have come to pass. and the new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Found in the book of Isaiah. Behold, I am going. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Also, found it. now I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. Thank you. For behold, I created new heavens and new earth. And in the New Testament, the gospel of Christ is similar. Hebrews 10 says that the gospel is the new and living way. Jesus said, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, God is a God of newness. On the one hand, he is the Ancient of Days. The father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to any change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This does not mean that God is static or stationary. The history of God's people in the Bible and the history of the Christian church show us just the opposite. In every age, the true biblical gospel is the message of newness and renewal god has not stopped doing new things the bible says we wait for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells second Peter. many of the old testament prophecies already cited were fulfilled in part with the coming of christ and the birth of the church but the prophetic fund has not yet been extinguished it has not run out unfulfilled prophecies and promises Of new things remain. Even at the end of the Bible, God God is still saying, Galatians 21, Behold, I make all things. So let's review just for a moment. Question one, who is telling the story? Jesus. Question two. Who are the listeners? Who is who is this story for? In that day, a large crowd. Levi, the tax collector, the disciples, John and of the Pharisees, and Jesus' disciples as well. Question three. Story being told. What revelations Relevance: does this story of unshrunken cloth and new wine have to do with anything going on in their life then or in our lives today? Let's read a little more and see if we can discover the answer to why Jesus was telling this group of people these two. Mark 2, 23 through 28. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And as the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those that were with him How he entered the house of God in the time of Bithar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This whole section of Scripture, verses 21 through 20, 28, are for the understanding of the Sabbath. Just as 13 through 20 was for the understanding of the spiritual discipline of fasting, God's perspective. sacred and divine institution of the Sabbath is a privilege and benefit for all that understand what a gift it is. Pause for a moment and think what it would be like if Sunday was just another day of business and busyness. What would the church look like? Maybe an evening service. Maybe a night of worship. Definitely not the day to worship God that we have the privilege to take part in today. Pharisees' perspective: Sabbath is a day of laws to be followed, and rules not to be broken. A hard and standing order to the way of life. The way life is to be conducted. so not get. A way of promoting their religion, of showing others how religious they were. Jesus' priest. Sabbath was made for man, the day set aside to rest from the world's busyness. Time to take time to take and give praise and thanks to our Creator God be about his holy work. Visiting friends and family, helping others and allowing others to help us, acknowledging God in our love, his ways. See his ways are designed to be easy. Sweet. Pleasant. God made himself God made man for himself and God made the Sabbath for man. We may find rest with our God. We may come together and corporately worship him. We are designed to practice fasting. We are also designed to take a break from the world. Once a week, find rest in in and with our God. Jesus says, if you're hungry, eat. And if your neighbor's livestock falls into a pit, help him get it out. God by serving him and by serving each other. Repeat verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Consider who the Sabbath was made by. God. Lord. As we come to understand the Sabbath, it's important to understand that it is the Lord's day And it is for our benefit, to his honor. And we are privileged to keep it. Jews observed observed the Sabbath on Saturday, but for Christians, we observe the Sabbath on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which was the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we can call Sunday the Lord's Day. The everything became new. And Jesus, Jesus rose from you. new hope, new love, new life. Sabbath is not a day of rules to be followed. It's a day to honor God, the Father, and Jesus the Son day of thanksgiving holy spirit's work in our life question three why is a story being told we need to line our perspective up with the perspective of the master you don't sew a new patch on an old. you don't put new wine in an old wine stove. you don't observe fasting as a way to be religious you use fasting when you need to get through a difficult or unsure time. You don't observe the Sabbath as a list. You do not. You observe the Sabbath as a benefit. A day of rest and a chance to honor and serve God by serving each other. C.S. Lewis once said that a person who has weeds in his or her garden should not pray about the weeds, but pull them up. When we face situations we cannot change by direct efforts, such as loved ones who are ill or financial problems that extend beyond our resources, then we turn the matter over. We see something we know something is right, if we feel a nudge from God to do something, let him lead. Let him be God in your life. We need to do what we all know in line with God's word. Loving God and loving others. Helping when we can and calling on God when we don't have the answer waiting for him to give us guidance in the storm of life. And sisters, that's called faith. Father, as we have received from your word, I pray that everyone that is present this day, including myself, will listen carefully. Will Apply it to our hearts so that it may grow and overflow to those that are around us. Thank you so much.